bem-vindos ao podcast What Drives You. Aqui exploramos histórias, estratégias e ferramentas das pessoas que têm bem claro o que é que as move. Por isso, se queres ser uma delas, mantenho-te por aí, porque a jornada vai começar. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the What Drives You podcast and today I want to share with you a very special conversation I had a couple of weeks ago with Ryan Ramsey. Ryan is the founder of the Second Wave Dive, a company that focuses on giving leaders the tools they need to change how decisions are made. They have courses, coaching and consulting for the new wave of leadership. He's also the author of Business Thinking for Designers. And in this conversation, we talk about his journey, pursuing different jobs and interests, as well as his work in Second Wave Dive and a lot more. I really love talking with Ryan and I think you must follow his work. You can read his book for free and subscribe um, the Second Wave Dive newsletter in the link in the description. Uh, before you go, a word of thank you to our amazing sponsors, Geração S+, Mais, a project built to give youngsters the healthy lifestyle they need today in order to become happier adults tomorrow. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Ryan Ramsey. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the What Drives You podcast and today I have Ryan Ramsey with me. Ryan, thank you so much for doing this, it's, it's really a pleasure um, and I want, I want to start with three quick questions, is that okay for you? Yes, of course, thanks right, for having so, me. No, that is, that's okay. First one, who's your favorite Liverpool FC player and why? Okay, so it's an easy one. Uh, I grew up in the era of Steven Gerrard, uh, number eight, uh, okay. you know, Captain Fantastic. Yeah. So this was really, you know, I, I, I you know, of course started watching Liverpool earlier, but for me, um, Steven Gerrard, uh, 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 the midfield. And yeah. every one of my children have a, a number eight uh, really? kit, you know, or we passed it down when they... <laughs> And they that's, get too big. And number eight yeah. is, is what we share. That's 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 really good. So the second one is how often do you watch Stain's music video face? Uh, <laughs> oh, having some connection. So, uh, so for those of you who don't know, um, twenty something years ago, twenty uh, yes. something years ago, I was uh, an actor. Uh, and I was uh, the lead actor in the music video for Stained, the band Stained, their song yeah. called Fade. Yeah. Maybe like once or twice a year when somebody asks me, I share <laughs> the link. I, I don't go back and watch it. But oh, it's, uh, it, it was actually, uh, and let me just tell you this story because I was doing some research and you have that on your website. And, uh, and when I saw the video, then I, I actually recall watching that video when I was the young, uh, when I was younger on the, on television. So it was like this mind blowing <laughs> moment, uh, like, oh my God, I'm going to interview that guy. Amazing. And uh, this, this actually will be uh, one small victory for me that I, that I will share with my friends that like rock as well. <laughs> like you see that guy, I interviewed them. Uh, oh, so it's so embarrassing. Now I think about it. I mean, it was fun, but it's, <laughs> Kind of embarrassing that yeah. uh, you know that's it. that's still there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I get it. So the third one is, uh, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but mm. you had some kind of toy in your desk when you worked at Apple. Is that true? And if so, what did it symbolize to you? Uh, could you repeat the question? What did yeah. I have at Apple? So I, I while I was doing this research, I saw a, a picture and uh, from your desk, I think at Apple, and you had mm. a small toy. Okay. Oh, yes, yes. Um, yeah. 
So that uh, that is Captain Distracto. So oh. the clay little figure yeah. is uh, my nickname from my wife. Oh, okay. um, so uh, I have ADHD, uh, which means part of, of this is, um, you know, I don't always stay on topic or yeah. I jump from topic to topic. And yeah. so that little figure was made of clay, modeling clay that uh, I, I made for myself while visiting um, the, uh, I think it's called the, so it's in San Francisco. It's like the Children's Museum of Art. They, it's very interactive. And so I made that figure, uh, but the figure is called Captain Distracto. Okay. And so this is like the little family nickname that okay. my my wife uh, has oh, for me it okay. doesn't really call me that anymore okay, okay. you know the 20 20 years yeah. ago ish uh, that's what okay she used. beautiful so um uh you had a lot of jobs uh construction customer support working on a farm acting um were there any lessons you've learned on those jobs that are still relevant to you in today oh goodness yes you know i think you know, the backstory goes to um, when I turned 14, uh, my father said, uh, happy birthday, go get your working papers. So this was at the time, the legal age to start working. Um, and, you know, I wanted to work, uh, but it was also uh, what an experience to like go and get a paycheck. And so my, my first job was working on a farm. Uh, not with animals, but uh, growing plants and selling uh, fruits and vegetables during the summers. And uh, starting at 14 during the summer, I would work uh, six days a week, uh, you know, like uh, 8.30 to uh, uh, six every day, you know, or mm -hmm. six days a week. Mm -hmm. And I only, I got paid something like $2.13 an hour and I got paid in cash Uh, but then I had to do my own taxes. And so the, the lessons that I think stick with me throughout all these jobs is to uh, uh, embrace these new, these new opportunities. And then for me, I think now that I'm 47, I've built sort of this um, rhythm, I guess, of like remixing, of taking what worked in one job and seeing if I could apply it here. So what does, you know, planting little plants for eight hours a day, what does that have to do with the logistics of uh, doing something in my days now? And so yeah. I had all sorts of interesting things. I could say like maybe all of them were not great. Some of right. the jobs were not fun, but um, sort of like uh, going through high school, Uh, I'm glad that I did that, and I don't necessarily want to do that again, <laughs> but I could take those lessons and, and apply it. Okay. And so working that much as a, as a teenager taught yeah. me, I think, the, the, taught me the benefit of, of trying something new, certainly delegating. Um, that mm. job had two bosses, a father and a son. Oh, okay. And they both wanted the job to be done two different ways. And so like at 14, I had to learn, oh, when, when the father is there, I do it this way. But when the son is there, oh, I change and I do it this way. And yeah. it's like, how, oh, how do I uh, sort of uh, be aware of those things, you yeah, know, around? That's, that's, that's a beautiful answer. So I, I want to get, um, I'll, I'll to 
how did you end up on design? But no. I wanted to share with uh, a quote with you and ask you uh, to tell me what it means to you. Is that okay? Of course, yes. Yes. Yeah, so the quote uh, is this: "Your mother is the way she is because oh, your mother gosh. is the way she is." Can you right. please uh, talk about <laughs> this quote? Wow, you've done some research. Um, so uh, I gave a talk. Uh, a few years ago, which was a Creative Mornings talk uh, while living in Switzerland. So this was Creative Mornings uh, Geneva. And the quote is um, related to sort of the behaviors that uh, maybe we don't see or uh, sort of realize with, with the people that are closest to us. Yeah. So I, I think for many people, and this is, it's not related to my mom. It's just yeah. a quote. It's, but it's saying that um, we see a lot of, especially like with family members or, or people that we work with, they kind of behave the same way every day. Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, your, your parent is always, uh, uh, talking to you or always yeah. instructing you in a certain way. And we want them to behave differently every day. Yeah. Like, why can't they just behave a different way? And so the quote is like, what if they, they don't? Yeah. How will you continue to, like, how will you progress? And so related to work, if we see a colleague, like not valuing us or making a decisions in a certain way, maybe that's just the pattern that we need to say, yeah. okay, so how do we work anyway, if yeah. they always behave that way? Yeah. How do we, you know, um, be okay with ourselves? How, yeah. how do we adjust our approach if that's just the way they behave? Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I really like that quote because yesterday, it, it was funny because yesterday I was doing the research for the podcast. I've been doing it for, for the past week, but yesterday I was looking at some of your talks and I was actually, I, I did it because I was having trouble with someone at work, uh, at our, our own team. And so I started watching your, your, your talk at Creative Mornings, and you came up with this quote, and I thought, damn, I needed to hear that, because th that's true. People around us, sometimes they, they'll be in certain patterns, and you must adapt in order to, to be free and to be more happy, right? So Yeah, and um, it's not fun. It's not hard. It's it's so much easier if they would just yeah, yeah. behave a different way. Yeah. And, and I think, too, is the same when... For, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of people who become managers yeah. uh, for the first time or, or now they lead teams. And it's so much easier to work with, with people who just maybe are like us, you know, yeah. and, and they are, are curious and they, they want to learn. And then yeah. there's people who maybe aren't so curious. And so it's really hard then. It's not the easiest thing to do. Yeah. And so the quote is really around like, how do we get more comfortable with yeah. maybe the reality that that is that is behavior that exists yeah. and and i want to be careful too that there are a lot of behaviors that are are, are not good behaviors yeah, sure, toxic sure, dangerous yeah. behaviors uh but it's more around you know like the quote goes to like my mom is always yelling at me yeah i want her to stop yelling at me yeah but that doesn't change like yeah. right so if so, i assume that she is always going to yell how can i then Clark. be be more comfortable yeah yeah of course of course so let's get into design and here i have two main questions uh the first one is how did you end up doing design for you oh uh that's a complicated answer because uh i, I maybe i'll go back to like yeah. university go ahead, go ahead uh so 
When I was in high school preparing for university, um, I was both uh, pretty good at math, but uh, pretty good at art. And so uh, I was developing like my art portfolio while also, you know, in college level ma math mm -hmm. classes. And mm -hmm. so um, I really wanted to be an architect. I really wanted to combine those. And uh, at the time, uh, you know, my... The, the landscape for architects, like the business environment was not good. You know, this was like 1987, I, I'm, I'm pretty old, uh, 1988. And um, I got some guidance that said like, you know, being an architect might be a really difficult life. Maybe you should not do that. And I was naive and like, oh, okay. So I, I went to school to be a material science engineer and I hated it. My first class, like 8 a.m. on Monday was Fortran. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. I'm like, why would anybody do this? But I also started university in 1992. And very soon uh, uh, the web was a thing. Yeah. And so while I was going to class and studying math and physics and chemistry and all these things, I would go home and what's this HTML thing? And, and I had like my bootlegged version of Photoshop and I was making, you know, posters and graphics for friends. Yeah. And so I, it took me a long time to sort of like connect. Well, that's my passion. So uh, at nights I was still making thing. And through all the nineties, I started, I was just playing around with HTML and, and Photoshop and making things. And, um, it was all an accident, you know. I, I my first job out of university, I worked for a, 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 a trance record label, like oh. setting up club, you know, club events and uh, like scheduling, you know, big artists in Ibiza and uh, New York and Las Vegas. <laughs> and then the company went under, and so I had to have a new job. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And so I was making web things at night, but I never thought it was a real job. Mm -hmm. So I became an actor and I was acting during the day and then making web things at night. And it wasn't until I met my wife and I was like, hmm, I don't want to work every day. I don't want to hustle seven days a week. Uh, I want my weekends off. This is somebody that I want to spend time with. And so then I, I, Luckily, had a friend who was working for uh, a company that they needed a, a designer, but they needed somebody. So we, I was called a web producer at the time because I knew how to code, mm -hmm. but I also knew how to design. Okay. And so they brought me in, and and so began the journey of like full time design stuff. You know, yeah. uh, that's how I got into it. So um, you have this amazing uh, journey in, in design. You work at some big companies and i wanted to ask you uh, precisely what was it like to work at apple and electronic arts uh so it was very different um you know the thing with apple i, I got very lucky uh, to so it was just timing um i was living in los angeles uh working for uh, the tv channel e entertainment mm -hmm. which was really owned by comcast and i was not making websites, but building like intranets mm. and extranets, building all these like internal tools okay. that, that a lot of people, you know, like portals and things like yeah. this way back then. And so not a lot of people did that. 
but when uh, my wife and I got married, we uh, got married outside of Los Angeles, but we returned and we just looked at each other and we said, we need to leave. Yeah. We don't need, we don't want to be here. So I put my resume on a website called dice.com. So it was like where all the engineers put their, you know, and, and okay. uh, developers put their resume because yeah. I was like this weird. And Apple called me three days later. And suddenly I was, you know, in Austin, uh, 10 days after my wedding, like weird. And I felt very intimidated. I was like, They've, they must have the wrong person. Uh, I am not like an Apple, like a designer, but they needed these types of tools that yeah. I was familiar with. And so what was great about working at Apple um, was I got to work for Apple Care, which was customer support, yeah. but I built large scale web applications, not websites. Mm really quite early before people began moving from say native applications to web applications. And so we were doing things like responsive design, but in large scale web applications in the browser, oh. like two years before that was the, but before it was a thing, yeah. you know? And so uh, it was a weird combination of like, using, you know, so I was a developer, I was a designer, I was a research kind of everything. Um, and what Apple taught me was like how to embrace like the idea of data and using data to inform a lot of the decisions, but not just qual, but quant. And so I didn't work in Steve Jobs kind of <laughs> realm. I worked for yeah. Tim Cook because Tim Cook was the CFO at the time. And so yeah. AppleCare was all driven around metrics and data. So I got to learn about statistical relevance as it relates to the metrics and benchmarking and setting up scorecards, but all as a means to kind of inform how I talked about design to, you know, uh, the accounting team or yeah. the team that needed a budget you yeah. know, or was permission budget. And then working at Electronic Arts, it was totally different. So it was like, oh my gosh, I get to work with video games? That's cool. But I didn't work in video games. I worked in customer experience. And so then coming into this environment where they weren't so much driven by like data, mm -hmm. but driven really more by like that ethereal experience of yeah. playing a game and using game theory to incorporate that into like internal tools, you know? So there was lots of really cool things of like, Ooh, you know, if we're talking about building tools for customer support agents, yeah. what if we could level them up like a gamer? What if they um, saw that their their application changed mm -hmm. because they they leveled up? And what yeah. if we had kind of player cards uh, to sort of show that yeah. they're going out and learning new skills? And so it was really fun, but also very different from Apple. So yeah, I had yeah. to learn like, oh, what happens when they're not data-driven? Yeah. How do I learn this? And I got to build a team for the first time. So both of those were exciting and hard in very different ways. And I think that they were kind of polar opposites. Yeah. So by having that exposure, uh, it really helped me kind of go like, oh my gosh, design is way more complicated 
yeah, uh, is perceived in entirely different ways yeah. um, than I thought it was. Yeah, so that that was actually one of the things that I liked the most while doing some research for this interview is that you have this. Um, I understood with you that design is way much more than what I thought design was, mm. uh, and especially reading your book, which, by the way, uh, called Business thinking for designers and if you like if, if you allow me it has actually some really good strategies for people that are like me I, I have nothing to do with design um, yeah. and and actually uh, before i go to the book let me just rewind a little bit and ask you something which is you you have this beautiful idea and i really liked it that design um can work as a way for you to find the core purpose uh, mm. and i wanted to ask you to elaborate a little bit on that. What do you mean by this core uh, purpose? Well, I, I think design is a, if we think about design as the problem solving process, right? Um, the, the approach there for me is then saying that design technique and methodology can help us find what is our core purpose. Um, and it also can expose that maybe some businesses, their core purpose is, is just to make money, right? Yeah. Uh, but what I think design uh, uh, provides for us is a way to kind of cut through uh, and make sense of like, are we, are we really prioritizing, you know, uh, um, a customer thing, a human thing over stakeholders? Uh, over yeah. profits, right? And design for us can really help see that some of the words that we use of like, we're this, but then the decisions being made are, are very different from what is being said. And so for me, design is an approach to identify core purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as I've grown, what it has also done is me using the methodology to see if the organization I am working for with um, maybe matches my values. Yeah. Uh, uh, their values match my values. And so then it's like, do our, do, do the, does the core purpose of what they really want to do match up with the core purpose of maybe what, what um, I want to contribute to, yeah. what I want to support? Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of what I mean of, of using design to help us identify core yes. purposes. And, and, and that's a great answer. So uh, let's go back to the book. And um, I know we have little time. And so I, because I, I, here's the thing, the book, it's it's a small book and it's really, really good. I really enjoyed it. So there's a lot of questions I would like to answer about the book, but I, I reduced them to two. So the first one is what were, what were the one thing um, that you, uh, actually not the one thing, but what's the, it's what, all the book, what are the main lessons that you believe or that you actually, um, so let me, let me rephrase it. You, mm -hmm. you wrote this book with all these amazing strategies and um, different ways of approaching both design and business. And if you had to come down to two, three main things that you wish that people after mm -hmm. reading the book, uh, they, they understood, what would those things be? Okay, yeah. So I think going back to the the reason for writing the book yeah. was I was seeing that a lot of decisions being made were not necessarily like what we would call business decisions yeah. or uh, data-driven decisions. Like a lot of, I think, what we are told 
is that uh, oh, get an MBA and or or you know use data or use math and uh, everything is fine. But uh, I think one of the core things is that we're talking about a lot of decisions that we make with our colleagues are uh, more around relationships. Yeah. Um, they're around how we understand each other. And so there's language and communication. So the, the first one I would say is if we really look at how decisions are made, the majority of them, I think, are around how we relate to people and how we communicate with people. So that leads us to the second one is that designers are actually positioned really well where our backgrounds in understanding how people interact with information, uh, an understanding of why they may adopt something and, and incorporate it into their lives. Well, our, our, that background gives us a great opportunity to actually see like, oh, how can I relate to my colleague in a way? And then the third lesson I think is there are lots of other frameworks. There are lots of other mechanisms that are out there that we didn't know about, that we were never exposed to. But I also think it practicing, active practicing of these other things is required for us to kind of feel comfortable in using some of the techniques. So the book is more like, there are other ways you are closer than you think. Mm -hmm. We may have to get a little comfortable with some of the things that we may be uncomfortable with. Yeah. You know, we talk about math being important. We're not necessarily responsible for the math. We don't have to actively do the math, yeah. but we should be more aware if somebody is doing that. Yeah. Because if nobody's doing that, then yeah. we know that it's not a data problem. It might be more of a relationship problem. Yeah. yeah. Types of things. So the book was all around that. And, and I think the why I wrote it was a lot of the guidance that I was seen or or given sort of within the industry mm -hmm. um, was coming was great, but it was coming from people who didn't have my responsibilities, didn't have to live with the guidance that was provided. And so in my roles, I not only had to provide the guidance, I then had to be responsible for yeah. seeing it uh, uh, acted out mm -hmm. and yeah. seeing it come into play and executed and then tracking it and monitoring it and determining if it was working or not. And yeah. I think through that is that lived experience of saying like, well, it's, it's right. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. And yeah. so I'm just trying to make, the book was there to say like there are other ways we can make it very pragmatic yeah. and applicable. That, that, that's a beautiful way to 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 write a book. So there, there was this one thing that uh, uh, this uh, from all of it there was this one diagram and maybe it, it's it's a little bit weird but I really liked it and there you presented this Venn diagram where um, business engineering and design combined would lead to innovation. So I'll, can you explain us? Why that is? Why do you believe that those three components lead to innovation? So if I, if the Venn diagram is actually, that's not my Venn diagram. Uh, that yeah. comes from like the design thinking world, right? That all you need is business and design and engineering and, yeah. and magic innovation happens. Yeah, yeah. But in the reality, we know that that's not the case. Yeah. And what's also confusing for me about that diagram is... Business and engineering are like departments 
mostly people perceive them as like departments. But design, but design is it the department or is it the method? Or is it the function? Like, what is it? But when we think about what, what really innovation and what like an executive team or what a leadership team or somebody who's running a company wants is they don't want innovation. They want to create some type of competitive advantage in the market that allows them to be successful, like allows them to generate profit uh, so that they can pay their employees so that they can, you know, uh, do well. And that shift then is then like, well, if you're talking about competitive advantage and having some way to be successful, then we're really talking about viability and feasibility and desirability. And so I wanted to talk more about like, let's then dig into what those things mean. Because I think if you talk to any business person or any engineer about like, we need things that are desirable, they'll agree. But if you talk to them about we need design, they might not agree. Yeah, right? yeah. that's the, the the other Venn diagram that you proposed uh, after presenting that one with those three elements. It's 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 really good. So let me um I I I want to talk a little bit about second wave dive before we run out of time. Sure. Uh, yeah. So you 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 have founded that company uh, where you teach some courses and, and do some coaching and, and and tell us what do you guys do? What's the core purpose of of the company and what right. do you do that's different? So uh, our difference is is probably who we focus on. Um, we uh, you know when I set up the company, uh, it was me thinking that. Mid-career professionals, when I say mid-career, maybe after your first one or three years, um, we don't get a lot of active mentorship. Uh, We don't get a lot of like instructional design. Uh, If you become a manager for the first time, if you become a director, if you become an executive, there is not a lot of active mentorship or even practice of new things. Yeah. And yet we're hired into these roles. We don't, aren't, don't know a lot of the skills that are involved there. And then we're expected to immediately know how to do these things. Yeah. And so this was a pain for me growing, you know, through my, my career of saying like, oh, I thought when I reached this level uh, that I would get, you know, uh, active member mentorship at this yeah. level. Like the first time I became a director, I was like, surely now somebody will help me become a good director, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the first time I became an executive, surely somebody will tell me how to become a better uh, executive. Those things didn't happen. And so our focus then is to say with mid-career professionals, um, we believe the hardest problem to solve is changing how organizations make decisions. Yeah. Uh, And so what we want to do is provide intentional, deliberate practice into things that are, you know, unfamiliar to us uh, in a place, in a space where you're not going to feel embarrassment or, uh, um, you know, fear of reprisal from a colleague. Like you don't want to try something for the first time in front of your CEO. Yeah, of course. You want to practice that. So this is what our our 
courses and community is all about. Like, how do we actively practice new skills before we go do it in real life? And so uh, the last thing is to say everything should be applicable on Monday. Rather than just sharing three bullet points and say, you need to be an active listener, we will take you through exercises of saying, like, here's um, a a dialogue script that comes from relationship theory, which shows you how to practice active listening, but also shows you how you can then uh, uh, turn that into a small request. And so that's what Second Wave Dive is about. Um, It's really about giving opportunity to mid-career professionals to have some space away from their day-to-day to to practice new skills with peers that are like them Mm -hmm. so that everybody kind of gets a, a, a faster path, you know, to... Some of uh, uh, relief, if of you will. And, and one of the things that I really loved about that, that idea was, was precisely what you, you said, that every skill must be applicable on Monday. And I really like that. So I was wondering, is that, was that a decision that you made uh, as soon as you started the company? So we're going to approach things this way or... That's a decision that I made many, many years ago. Oh, okay. Uh, so... I don't talk about it a lot, but I have had these notes and this idea for maybe eight years. Oh, okay. uh, I just didn't do anything with them. And so where it was frustrating for me was was probably when I moved from Apple to Electronic Arts, mm-hmm. is that a lot of the guidance that I was given was wonderfully inspirational. You know, like you need principles, you need this. And I was like, Ooh, that's inspiring. But then I had no way of how to apply that. Like pragmatically, there was no lesson. And so for me right away in all the work that I was doing was how do I take this and how do I apply it? How do I make it pragmatic? And I think the key for me was I had a member of my team I think in about 2015, 2016, um, where uh, they saw me in a meeting with executives and showing uh, uh, how to use like scorecard and objectives and metrics in a very different way and like drive decisions in a different way. And after the meeting, that member came up to my, the member of my team came up to me and she, she said, I can see what you're doing. I have no idea how you got to that point. How, how did you get here? How did you do that? And so I said, oh my gosh, I, it's not a matter of me showing. I actually have to teach these things so that people can discover their own paths. How do I turn some of these lessons into more of instructional moments um, and that's very different than just showing here's how you do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and so for me, that's a big part of our difference with second wave dive is not here. Here's an example of somebody who did this. Yeah. It's more like, here's the situation that was present. They were working with people who didn't trust them. They had no budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they were uh, under some type of pressure to meet a deadline in 90. How then did they do that? Well, they had to get very pragmatic. And showing through oh, those lines. Yeah, those, right. Yeah, How? Right. Because we all, when we want to learn, we want to be able to act. 
and yeah. and be able to come back to our our real life and say, oh, I I have a way to maybe not be stuck yeah. or or break from the status quo. Yeah, I mean, I, I always like to to promote projects that, that use that um, that I need almost like um, the skill based learning, right? Where you right. must put into practice that, that that's really good. So I have only two more questions, Ryan. Uh, cool. The first one is um, you have this great, amazing Twitter thread about uh, <laughs> leaders or managers uh, or, or about actually getting into a position of leadership and, and what in some functions that seem pretty easy on paper, but actually in real life, those are not that easy to do. Things like um, teaching others what you know, or and this one really uh, struck a chord on me, sharing uh, the vision, but sharing enough of the vision, but not sharing too much. So uh, I, I was wondering if you have any um, tips or, or, or strategies, simple strategies that, that we can use in order to solve these issues so for me i think i wish there was an easy answer but i think in the reality is is it all depends on the people that i'm relating with you know even on a team i think one of the first lessons that i had to learn was that there were some people who were curious And they were, you know, wanted to know. So they would ask why from that curious. They wanted to figure it out. But then there were other people who asked why because they, they didn't want to do something different. Yeah. Right. And so then sharing enough is we have to remember that an important part of being in service to organizations is that we're in service to a uh, uh, the people that we work with at a peer level or even our bosses. And then we're in mm -hmm. service to the people that work for us. Like we are in service. And so mm -hmm. we have to understand that morale and motivation are different things. We have to boost the morale of a, of a team, but then keep individuals motivated. And when you yes. talk about individuals are motivated in different ways, yeah, but then we need to like maintain the morale or if The one person on the team is so demotivated that it affects the morale yeah. of the team. What do we prioritize, right? So it's kind of getting into that nuance of saying it's hard, right? Yeah. It's difficult. Yeah. And I, I, I think for me, that has been more about like my own you know, me going to therapy yeah. and understanding where I begin and end yeah. as a, as an individual and yeah. um, uh, getting some support for me. And that's, that's something that I've, I've been awfully privileged to get, to be able to, to handle. But to me, there's, uh, I wish there was one answer. Here's yeah, a quick tip, yeah. Yeah. but it's more like understanding that uh, I think that individual motivation is different, yeah. but we're all. also responsible for the morale yeah. of the team. Yeah, that that that's a that's a great uh, framework. The, the the morale motivation thing. It's it, it actually makes a lot of sense. So Ryan, um, I'll, I'll I just have one more question, uh, and uh, and we go. But let me just ask you something before, which is if people want to connect with you, what is the best place to 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 do it? So uh, two easy ways. Um, 
on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, you can find me Ryan Rumsey at Ryan Rumsey. Uh, so it's the same there. If you're interested in the coursework and, and uh, the communities that we build or, you know, these types of things, it's all at second wave dive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say mostly you hear my voice through Ryan Rumsey Second Wave Dive is more around uh, trying to share more about our alumni and and the community and and how people are learning there. There are some tips that we share there, but mostly uh, uh, Ryan Rumsey is where you'll maybe see me having particular uh, threads <laughs> like the one okay. you read. So I'll I'll leave the the links in the description, and uh, I I advise everyone to actually subscribe to your newsletter uh, at the Second. Uh, wave dive because that's a really good newsletter as well. So, Ryan, thank you so much for doing this. My last question is actually the question that gives name to the podcast, and that is, what drives you? Uh, you know, what drives me is uh, balance these days. Uh, my family is is the most important part, and maybe 10 years ago, I would say that, but not always balance that. Yeah. And so for me, what drives me is maintaining balance and that, uh, you know, every day uh, at five o'clock, uh, these things go away. I do my best to put these away, ensure that I have balance between uh, what I do to make a living, but what I really do, which is to be a, a decent partner and a, a decent uh, uh, parent yeah. and, and a decent friend and a decent community member and yeah. all those types of things. That's that's a beautiful answer. Ryan, thank you so much for doing this. It was really a great pleasure. Uh, and uh, to everyone watching, you can follow Ryan. We'll leave the links in the description as well. Leave a rating up in, the, your, in your favorite podcast app. Ryan, once again, thank you so much. And to everyone, I'll see you soon. Thanks so much for having me.